It may be questionable as to whether or not I keep my sanity. Let me sort myself out. Well, sort out my stuff. And uh, it is good to be with you all. Once again, um, I uh, greatly enjoyed my time with you back in November when I was last here, uh, both for Presbytery and then here on the Lord's Day. And so here I am once again. I'm really grateful for that. Let us, um, let us turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. And as you turn there, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word in which we see Jesus. Now make our consideration of your word fruitful. Work out your purposes in us that we might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Bless our attendance upon your word so that just as we received Christ Jesus as Lord, we might continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond that is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains, in the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart 
and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Turn now to the New Testament reading, which is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, the 22nd chapter, beginning at the 31st verse. Excuse me, and this is the passage that we will be uh, considering together in some greater depth. Context is at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Thus far the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Do you you ever feel disappointed, depressed, deflated and defeated, a failure, a flop, a fake, useless, worthless, helpless, hopeless, Pointless? Or do you ever feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, responsible for others? Your family depends on you. Your employer depends on you. Your friends depend on you. The church depends on you. You can't fail. You won't let others down. You will be faithful to the trust you've been given. Then the sweat starts to break out because you fear that you're not up to the task. Or do you feel that you can do anything you set your mind on, your hand, your heart on? You're on top of the world. You're strong and good. And God has placed you in a better position than most. You have advantages. You've risen above the failures of others. A little planning, some hard work, a bit of time, and everything will be okay. 
You ever feel like that? Or do you not think about success or failure? About the future? About goals? About responsibilities? Do you bury your head in the sand? Or in a bottle? Or work? Or books? Hmm? Or TV? The internet? Your cell phone? Or other people's affairs? To try to keep from feeling or from knowing your feelings. If you ever feel like any of these, if any of those shoes fit your feet, then this passage has a word for you. In verses 21 to 23 of this chapter, we see that Jesus has just told the disciples that one of them would betray him. As we read these four verses, the question arises, why tell Simon Peter these things? And the answer is, because Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. And why does Luke record this exchange between Jesus and Peter? And again, the answer is because Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And we are not much different from Peter. What is this passage about? What is God's purpose for the passage for you? God wants you to have a firmly grounded assurance. He wants to encourage you to a radical faith. The passage is really about faith. It seems to deal with three basic kinds of faith. The first is the kind that Peter expresses in verse 33. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now, it seems that Peter is merely saying what every Christian ought to say. Indeed, he's saying that he'll do what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 27, that we must do. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus says. Every Christian vows to stick to Jesus, to go where he leads, to remain faithful. And that is right, in perspective. Peter's fault is that he thinks that he can and will keep that promise. He expects to do well. Peter looks to himself as the victor. And at this point, he's no different from the secular humanists of our day. On TV, in schools, books and magazines, government programs, so many charitable organizations all reflect the basic attitude that you can do it. The modern humanist, Peter, 
and very often the modern Christian, fall into the trap of denying sin and its effect upon us all. No exceptions. All. None of us can escape that because it's part and parcel of the effect of Adam's sin upon us, made all the more real and personal and complex by our own particular sins. Peter's zeal to follow and serve the Lord is admirable, but it's a zeal without knowledge. Peter really doesn't know himself at this point in his career. So he falls into the trap of denying the effects of sin. Peter's an example of what Jeremiah talks about in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and, and beyond cure, or, as Pastor Shishko just noted, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Asks Jeremiah. Asks the Lord through Jeremiah. Do you look to yourself as victor? Do you figure that you can do it? Pray the prayer of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Peter failed to have the attitude of that prayer. And so the Lord burst his bubble by saying, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. If you think more highly of yourself than you ought, the Lord will pop your balloon too. But the Lord also knows that it is all too easy to fall into a second kind of faith. What we often call no faith, which is actually faith in Satan, or failure, or futility, or in essential nothingness, or whatever it may be called. This is where you expect to be defeated. This is where you expect to fail. This is the faith that sees Satan as victor. Expects Satan to win. Not in hope, not as a Satanist, but in despair. This is the belief that there is no hope. The person who thinks highly of himself and then falls may easily fall into this. And Jesus seems to give support to this kind of faith in verse 31. The, the NIV translates it as, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. The ESV translates it as, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Literally, what Jesus says is, Simon, Simon, Satan has 
obtained you by asking to sift you as wheat. Hmm. And interestingly, although Jesus specifically addresses Peter, the you here in the Greek obtained you. It's plural. Hmm. Every one of us is set upon by Satan's forces and devices. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are all in the position of Peter and Job. But we need to have the perspective of Job who said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my sin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes behold, not another. Sifting can take many forms, but anything which tempts us to deny Christ, either openly and explicitly or by implication of our words or actions, any such temptation is just such sifting. Anything which puts you in the pressure cooker is a sifter, a temptation. Please notice, being sifted, tempted, isn't sin. A denial of Christ, giving up biblical hope, throwing up your mental or emotional hands in despair of God's doing what he promises, that's sin. Do you recognize your sifting? Your temptations. How do you react to being in the pressure cooker? What do you say or do in response to trouble? Do you have Peter's perspective? Or do you have Job's perspective? Mm. But sifting is a process of purifying. Mm. Separating wheat from chaff. We can all expect to be sifted. But that doesn't mean that Satan will prevail, that you should throw up your hands and bow your heads in despair. When you recognize that you have failed, then look to Jesus. The third kind of faith, the right kind of faith, the faith by which the righteous shall live is faith in Jesus Christ as victor. Expect him to prevail. You see, Jesus doesn't only tell Peter about Satan's request. In verse 32, he also tells Peter about his own prayer on Peter's behalf. But 
I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And although here he speaks of his prayer for Peter in particular, we know from John 17 that Jesus prayed for all of his people. And in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, we read, If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 22. He is saying to Peter, Satan has asked to have you. He will sift you, but you are mine, and I am about to die for you. And because I will have died for you, I am an effective defense for you. Satan may touch you, but he cannot have you for his own. Jesus is saying, not merely, I have asked for your, your faith not to fail, and we can hope, maybe, there might be a good outcome. Hmm. Rather, he's saying, certainly, your faith will not fail because I have asked. The prayer is granted. And that tells us something about faith. If Peter's faith does not fail, yet he denies Christ three times, then we ought not to see having faith as a guarantee against sinning. Even this denial of Christ. Faith is longer term than that. Rather, because Peter's faith doesn't fail, he will repent, turn back after his sin. Sin is a contradiction of faith, which is why we can't continue in sin and refuse to repent and still claim to have faith in Christ. But faith in Christ is longer lasting and it prevails because Christ has triumphed over sin. We see also that faith is a gift. What would be the use of Jesus praying that Peter's faith should not fail if it were something that Peter had to work up and maintain? Mm. It would have made more sense for Jesus to exhort Peter and try to get Peter to work harder so that his faith would not fail. But no, we come to Christ with empty hands. And we cling to Christ with empty hands. If our hands are full of anything that we offer, we can't grasp Christ. You see, there are those who suggest that Christ saves you if you come to him. But it's your part to come. To believe. To trust. But Jesus' prayer shows that even here, we're dependent upon God, that he chooses, he draws us to himself, he gives you faith, and he causes you to believe, to trust and obey. He not only gives opportunities to be saved, 
He saves. And there are those who teach that God gives you the ability to trust, to obey, a germ of faith, a seed, and then it's up to you to make it grow, to continue in it. They teach that God brings you into his kingdom. It's up to you to stay in it. They teach that Jesus is high priest for a moment on the cross. And then he steps out of the picture and leaves you to your own devices. But his prayer here shows that he intercedes, that you depend upon Christ, not merely to get saved, but to stay saved. That Jesus not only procures his people on the cross, but by the same shed blood, he preserves his people. Your faith may not fail because your faith is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is Lord, and he does not fail. And because your faith will not fail, you will repent. Jesus doesn't command Peter to repent here. He assumes that Peter will repent because he knows that Peter's faith will not fail. Unfailing faith is what God has given each of his people in answer to the prayer of Christ. That means that although you sin, you always will repent. And that's all part of the sifting like wheat. You see, Satan is God's servant, albeit unwillingly. He's God's means for making you more faithful and preparing you for ministry to others. Because you see, after you've been through the sieve, like Peter, you are to strengthen your brothers, not merely sigh relief or glory in the past. How much less will you look down on those who in God's providence are in the sieve at the present time. Now you see the reason for the passage. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. He knows that you too will sin against him. And in Peter's case, this is a revelation of divine knowledge. Jesus tells Peter what will happen in the future quite specifically. It's to be a sign for Peter, an assurance that what Jesus says is true. So the occasion for sin, for Peter and for us, becomes a reminder of what Jesus said. Note verse 61 of Luke 22, immediately after Peter denies Christ the third time and the rooster crows, the Lord turned 
and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. For Peter, the occasion of sin became a bitter reminder of what Jesus said, the prediction of the sinful denial. But it could, indeed should, have been more than that. And as you read the rest of Luke's gospel account in the book of Acts, I think you see that it was more than that. Because Jesus did more than predict Peter's sinful denial. He gave Peter a promise. Jesus knows about your sin before you do. He knew about tomorrow's sins already when he prayed for you in the Garden of Gethsemane and when he went to the cross to die to suffer the punishment for those very sins, tomorrow's sins, as well as yesterday's and today's. So for you too, the occasion of sin becomes a reminder of what Jesus said. Not only the prediction of the sin, but also the promise of unfailing faith. Satan may sift you. You may tumble and fall. But Christ will bring you out with the wheat because he does not fail. So what Jesus said to Peter, he says to you, be warned, you are not able to stand against Satan. But be encouraged, Jesus has triumphed over Satan for you. And when you repent, remember to strengthen others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves and even so have chosen to love us and have given to and for us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and together with him you have given to us your Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit works in us faith in Christ by which faith he unites us with Christ and applies to us the finished saving work of Christ. We thank you that by that same faith, he causes us to repent, that our faith in Jesus does not fail because Jesus does not fail. Cause the occasions of temptation and of sin to remind us of Jesus' prayer and promise that he has obtained us, that we belong to him, And he belongs to us, as is declared to us in the gospel and displayed in the Lord's Supper. So enable and move us to live out the faith we confess and to strengthen others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.